So now that we are after uh, Purim and on our way to uh, to Pesach, so I figured now would be as good time as any to uh, do stuff related to Rosh Hashanah. Just kidding. Uh, we'll do stuff related to uh, to uh, to Pesach in order to get ourselves into um, the proper frame of mind of what the um, main focus of what we're going to be trying to accomplish. And this isn't even going to be so much Pesach, although you'll see it's very much Pesach Vic, but it's going to be really the season that we're entering into. The season meaning from Pesach all the way till Shavuos, understanding what we're trying to accomplish over the course of those uh, of, of those seven weeks. So it happens to be that the uh, the Slonimer has, uh, the Nesiva Shalom has what I think is a, an incredibly important and fundamental piece about this uh, this topic. Very often, if one wants to uh, go through the writings of the Nesiva Shalom, they say, oh, let me see what he has about Pesach, and I'll find this exciting Pesach stuff. And you figure, I'll get myself through it, and then uh, everything will be set. But he's got like 60 pages on Pesach, which is unlikely that somebody's going to go through them in a particular year. In this piece, which we're going to do, is really his first piece on Sefirah Sa'omer which is a separate piece altogether, separate section of the Sefer altogether, is what to think about during Sefer Omer. So that's why I think many people miss it, but I think it contains incredibly powerful stuff for the first night of Pesach, for the first night of Pesach, the first day of Pesach. We often talk about it in shul, the first night of Pesach, but now we'll have the opportunity to actually go through it and to be able to see exactly how he develops uh, the idea. And I went through it to uh, to try and see if I can extract, so we don't have to read everything, to extract uh, the, the essence of what he says, to distill it down, where we could sort of jump around in order to get the full idea and the flavor, flavor of it without having to read it all inside. But this is one of those pieces where almost every line is really essential to get, uh, to get his point. And although I could summarize things, uh, he's a much better writer than I am a speaker. So probably better off reading what he writes uh, in order to uh, to fully appreciate. So here we have, hopefully on your screen now should be the uh, the piece. That looks good. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Okay. So he says as follows. And as, as he often does, and this is somewhat similar to, to Rav Huttner in terms of beginning with a series of questions, but here this first, this, this entire first paragraph is a, a series of, uh, of questions. And he says, So you're going to count from after Shabbos, which we which Chazal interpret that to mean after the first day of Pesach, so it wasn't clear, from the day that you bring the Korban Omer, the flower Korban, which is brought on the second day of Pesach in the Beis HaMikdash, so we're going to count Sheva Shabbosos Tamimos Tiena, seven full weeks, Ad Mimacharas HaShabbos HaShaviz, and from after that first Shabbos, meaning that first day of Pesach, so you're going to go ahead and, so the first day of Pesach is being referred to as Shabbos, he's going to point that out, so you're going to count 50 days, so we just went from seven weeks, which is really 49 days, to 50 days, for those who are mathematically challenged, V'hikravtem Mincha Chadash HaShem, and then you're going to go ahead and you're going to offer the new Korba Mincha Tasha. Okay, that's that's the Pasuk that he's going to focus on. Now he says, and you can see he's got a lot of questions. So many of the Meforshim focus their attention on the end of the Pasuk. Good evening, Mel. 
uh, where it says you're going to offer the new korban mincha. Because interestingly, this idea of the korban which is brought on the second day of Pesach in the Beis HaMikdash, the Shtei HaLechem, the two loaves, that actually is not referenced directly until the next Pasuk, the following Pasuk, then the one we began with, where it says, etc. That on the, from your camp, from your dwellings, you're going to bring the waving loaves, which are going to be two, etc. So why does this first Pasuk, which is really talking about the mitzvah of counting, why does it already make reference to the Korban Omer when the Korban Omer is really the subject of the second sentence? It's a little bit the, uh, the, the, the organizing of, this, uh, of the Pesukim doesn't seem to be so tight. And then he says, the Lama, therefore, the Chain, Lama Nizkar Inyan Hamincha Al Sfirasa Omer Pasakachat. Why does the Torah go ahead and mention both the Korban Mincha as well as Sfirasa Omer, the counting of the Omer in a single Pasuk? Demashmish is a Chelik Misfirasa Omer, because that implies that the Korban Mincha, the Shtehalachem, the two loaves, are part of the idea of Sfirasa Omer. And that would be bad for us because. We don't have a Korban Omer, at least until, the, at least maybe there's still time this year, but until now, during our lifetimes, we have not had a Korban Omer, and yet we've been counting Sphira. So why is the Pasuk grouping them together as if to make them a single unit when the way we live, at least, they seem to be completely separate units altogether? Then he says, Another thing which requires some explanation and consideration is, the Torah doesn't give us a calendar date when Shavuos is going to fall, like it does by Pesach and by Sukkot. The Torah is very clear that it's going to be on the 15th of the month of Tishrei or the 15th of the month of Nisan. The Kasuf, all the Torah says is, that it will be on the day that you're going to offer the new Korban Mincha to Hashem after the weeks. So all we know is that it's seven weeks after we brought the first Korban Omer, the Shteh HaLechem, so it'll be seven weeks from there. But why not just give us a calendar date? Why, why, why would it be so hard? It's not as if the Torah didn't have a calendar that it was working with. Dehainu, in other words, Shenosein Simen Shayantav Chal B'Yom that the reference to the Yantav of Shuas is it's going to be somehow referenced in terms of you're going to count when the Yantav will be based on when you brought the Shtei those two loaves on the second day of Pesach. What's the point of that? Why, why give us such a difficult reference to go ahead and calculate and figure out? Then he says, Now once we're on that line of reasoning, that line of thinking, we could ask the same question about the mitzvah of Sfirah Omer. The Torah doesn't give us a calendar date when to begin counting the Sfirah. The Torah doesn't say you begin counting the Omer on the 16th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar. It just says you're going to begin the day after the first day of Pesach. Well, how, how vague of a reference, or how difficult of a reference are you trying to go ahead and uh, you know create over here? Why not just say the 16th of Nisan? We all know what day that's going to be. It's the 16th of Nisan. We also have to understand, 
So the discrepancy in numbers is also something which is curious, because on the one hand, you're telling me that you're counting seven weeks. Seven times seven, as we said, is 49. And then it says, we're counting 50 days. So the numbers don't uh, match. We know from Sphere Omer that we actually count only 49 days, not 50 days. So why does the Torah go ahead and say, you're counting 50 days? That certainly is misleading because we don't. Ubarashi, and Rashi happens Mivar to address this problem. He says, Shazet Mikra Masuris, that the Pasuk, we'll just say for simplicity, the Pasuk is sort of like rounding up. So we Lamaisa count 49 days, but it's easier to make calculations based on the number 50. So the Torah just uses the number 50 rather than 49, but really it means 49. But Lamaisa, it does say 50. Why did the Torah say 50 days if it really means only 49? Because certainly everything in the Torah has a distinct intent. And there must have been an intent to explain why it is that we're going to give this uh, seemingly inaccurate reference point to say that this is how many days you're going to count when in fact we're not going to count that many days. Okay, so that's enough questions for us, I assume, to go ahead and to get us wondering and scratching our heads what exactly is going on here. Okay, so now he says, also, very beautifully, he says, the So we begin by, with an introduction of, of an explanation, the yeud. Yeud means the purpose or the intent of this tkufa, of this period of the year, which we call Sviras Omer. So from Pesach until Shavuos, what is exactly is going on during this period of time? We, we, we may refer to it as a yuntiv season. What exactly is the point of this yuntiv season? When it comes to the, the counting of the days during these seven weeks, there are certainly we're certainly accomplishing an, a tremendous amount spiritually. And there's all sorts of things which are happening in the spiritual realms, but none of that is really is so much our business. But as far as on our level is concerned, on our level of service of Hashem, the intent is going to be like some people say in some of those paragraphs, which are said each night after counting the Omer, we say, Ribona Shalom, Master of the world, you commanded us via Moshe Rabbeinu to count these seven days, in order to cleanse us from all of the klipas, the superficialities of our lives, and all of the impurities of our lives. In our hope, through the process of counting those 49 days, is that I, the tefillah's phrase in the singular, I should be purified and I should be sanctified in the upper types of tahara, in the spiritual types of, uh, of tahara. So what does that mean? So that means on a, simple to say, hard to do, uh, difficult to do, but he says, Yehudat Kufa, so the purpose of this season, Hazos, who, Latzeis Ulitar Me'atuma, Vilikanesim Korakidusha, we're trying to leave behind all of the impurities that we have in our lives, in our character, in our existence, in our service of Hashem. 
and we want to hikanes lemekora kedusha, and we want to enter into this new uh, spiritual world, which is the spiritual world of kedusha, of holiness, of sanctity. That's where we're trying to uh, to go. The chot kufazu, achas, and this whole season has one purpose. Again, there's the individual character of Pesach, there's the individual character of the, the first days of Pesach, the second days of Pesach, there's individual elements of Shavuos, but we put it all together as a single season, the same way we would do like in the month of, uh, of Tishrei, we talk about how going from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, through Sukkot, all the way ending with Shemini Atzerah, Hoshana Rabbah, Shemini Atzerah, and in Simchus Torah, all of that is one journey, which begins at a certain point, and we're trying want to end up at a different point, at a higher point. So the same thing is true with regards to this season of the the other the holiday season of the year, where we have the uh, yontif of Pesach all the way through Shavuos. Mi Pesach al Shavuos, Shabo. And now he begins to unravel a little bit, unpack a little bit. He says because what happens during these seven weeks is Shabo nishlemes. This is when we complete the exodus from Mitzrayim. So we think of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim as being very much a Pesach Yomtev, but the truth is that it's not limited to Pesach. Pesach represents one dimension of the Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, but really it's not the final goal of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. Shaharei kol inyan chaga Pesach huzman cheruseinu, because we know, this is how we reference to it in davening, that the idea of Pesach is the fact that it's our time of freedom. Perish, what that means is, doesn't mean freedom like freeing the slaves. I mean, it is like in roots, but what it means is perish. But what we're trying to leave is we're trying to leave the subjugation and the servitude that it wasn't simply that we were slaves, meaning hard labor, but we were enslaved to paro in Mitzrayim, the Hainu, which means on a spiritual level, hashibud leklipas Mitzrayim, that we were enslaved by the mindset and the spiritual standing, the very low spiritual standing of the Egyptians. And therefore, and that's why we, we talk about very often the fact that the Jews in Mitzrayim were, were, were idolaters. And even as they would get to Kriyas Yamsuf, the Malachim are saying, why are you saving the Jewish people when their idolaters are the same as the Egyptians? So that's representative and expressive of the idea that we weren't merely enslaved in terms of difficult labor, hard labor, but we were enslaved in terms of intellectually and spiritually and emotionally. We were uh, completely enveloped in the culture in what Mitzrayim represented. And therefore, So the labor part of our, our slavery, so that certainly that was done the first day of Pesach, because that's the day that we walk out of Mitzrayim and we're no longer working. So that element of leaving the uh, the servitude to the Egyptians, so that ended on the first day of Pesach. But the goal was to leave that mindset, that Egyptian mindset, which captured our emotion and our thinking and our perspective on things, that Yitzhiya, the full Yitzhiya, the full exodus from the uh, Egyptian way of thinking, that doesn't occur until we arrive at the Yantif of Shavuos. Because as we know, Shein Lechabor Ben Chorin that there's no such thing as a free person 
other than one who's engaged in Torah study, like we're doing here. So here we are, we're, we're representing, we're experiencing the greatest freedom by studying Torah together. And this is, that's the final a- aspect of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, is when we finally receive the Torah from Atarish Baruch Hu, which then gives us the opportunity to engage our mind, engage our hearts, engage our spirits, engage our, our emotions, completely in servitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, rather than to other ways of thinking. And that is the end, that's the final goal of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, not just to no longer have hard labor to do, but to actually be free in our manner of thinking, free to be able to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that doesn't happen until we get the Torah. And this is like like the Pasuk says, the HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm taking you physically out of Mitzrayim. When I take you physically out of Mitzrayim, the goal is that the nation will serve God on this mountain. So that's the goal. That states the goal. The stated goal isn't simply to walk out of the boundaries of, of Egypt. It wasn't a... Um, a uh, uh, what are they doing at the borders? They're, uh, they're uh, running out of the borders, whatever it happens uh, to be. They're running into the country over here. But over there, it wasn't simply that there was an exodus at the borders, that they, uh, they became open to allow people to leave. But rather, it's a much more spiritual dimension. When are we going to complete uh, and finish the exodus of the nation from Egypt? Only when only when they serve Hashem on this mountain. Because ultimately, from a spiritual sense, because this idea of physically leaving Mitzrayim and eventually getting ourselves to the point of Kabbalah Satora, this is one journey. It wasn't two different journeys, one to leave Egypt. And now we have now a second journey. Sometimes you, you know, you're, uh, you're on your way there to Israel. So you say, you know what, on my way there, I'm going to stop in Warsaw and I'll stop over there. And I'll have a stopover and not just a stopover, but I'll, I'll make a, a, a second trip out of it. So I go to this country and I visit that for a week. And then I go to a second country and visit that for a week. We're not talking about two different legs of a journey. We're talking about one journey over here. That's what, we, that's what HaKash Baruch Hu wanted from us. The whole ode, she Yehudi ain't over as Tkufa, and he says, a Jew who does not complete the full journey and eventually reach the uh, the second part of, of the journey, which is Kabbalah Satorah, that person has not fully experienced the season of Cheres. We don't say Zman Cheresenu once once Pesach is over, but the truth is is that that the, the remaining six weeks are an essential part of that Cheres season, the season of freedom, which has to culminate with the receiving of the Torah. Now he says, Alpizet. Now he says, you could understand Yevuar Hadiuk Shadaiku Kadoshim. You could understand what we find these Sfarim point out that a, a an issue which is pointed out in this Sfarim, which is. A Balkari would be much better equipped like Al to, uh, to take note of this. But he says, Asfar Makadoshim take note of the fact that the concept of Simcha is said in reference to Shavuos, and it's said in reference to Sukkis, but it's not said in direct reference to Pesach. 
And the way Chazal know that there's going to be Simcha on Pesach is only through one of its hermeneutic principles that the Sholosh Regalim are grouped together. In, since we find Simcha by Sukkot, we find Simcha by Shavuot, it only makes sense that there's going to be Simcha by Pesach as well. But the Torah, for some reason, doesn't mention Simcha in reference to Pesach. And in light of what he's saying, this is something which is somewhat astonishing because many people think of Pesach as the happiest of the Yom because this is when we were no longer enslaved. What was a happier time for Klai Yusuf? The fact that they got huts, they were given tents in the in the Midbar. Okay, Amazon delivers everywhere. So they deliver tents in the in the Midbar, wherever they went ahead and they, uh, they stood. In receiving the Torah, great, that gives us our marching orders in terms of mitzvahs and all of that. But the real simcha is that we went from this slavery and the torturous existence which we had when we were in Mitzrayim, and we walked out and we were no longer subjugated to, and enslaved. That should really be the, the yantif, which contains within it the greatest element of simcha. And yet a direct reference to simcha is absent when it comes to Pesach. Why would the Torah not mention simcha when it comes to Pesach? It explains the Sloan or where He says the reason is because because the ultimate joy of this season, which we call cheirus, which we call freedom, it's because we haven't yet reached the happiest moment. People think the happiest moment, mistakenly, people think the happiest moment is when we're no longer enslaved, but the happiest moment is really when we receive the Torah on Kabbalah Torah, and to uh, express that idea that the Simcha is not fully complete until we reach our final destination, which is Kabbalah Torah, so therefore the Torah doesn't make a Simcha reference when it talks about the uh, the uh, the, the Yantif of Pesach. Okay, give out. So that is part number one. So if that's all he said, that would already be a, a, an amazing piece. But he goes on. Don't worry. So he says, now here we'll skip a little bit. He says, now this season, it has two different ideas to uh, to it. And tonight we're only going to see, hopefully we'll see that one. We're only going to see one of them. But it has, ultimately it has two different uh, um, uh, ideas, two different aspects or two different dimensions. And he's going to explain this based on the Pasuk, where an Adrasha, which somebody said on the Pasuk, that at the beginning of Bishalach, so it says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we'll just read that, that V'lonacham Elokim Derech Eretz Plishtim, that when God took the Jews out of Mitzrayim, he didn't send them through the land of the Plishtim. And then in the same Pasuk says, V'chamushim Mitzrayim, and the Jews left Chamushim. What does the word chamushim mean? So one of the drushas, which Rashi says, is that only one-fifth of the Jews actually left Mitzrayim. That's the idea that many of them, four-fifths of them, died in Makas Choshech, during the uh, the plague of Choshech, and they came out in in a small percentage of them. Now, but the question is, why are these two ideas, the fact that only one-fifth of the Jews left Mitzrayim, what does this have anything to do with the fact that when God took them out of Mitzrayim, he didn't take them through the land of the Plishtim? Those are two important ideas. Granted, those are two ideas, but why are they put together in one sentence, in one idea, the fact that Hashem didn't take them out of, Mitz, uh, out of Mitzrayim through the land of Plishtim because he was afraid they would go back, and only one-fifth of them left anyways? But what does that one have to do with the other? So he says, this sefer called Divrei Moshe. So he says, Umevar al Yesod Hamuva Bisfar Makadoshim. 
So this safer goes out and explains this idea, why these two ideas are juxtaposed in the in the Torah, based on what the Svarma Kedoshim tell us. She'inyan also, even a Balkari wouldn't know to, to pay attention to this unless it's pointed out, says, She'inyan Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim nizke b'tor chamishim pamen. The idea of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, I'm not sure if he means like the number of mitzvahs which say Zechil Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. I don't know what he means in terms of these references. But he says Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is referred to in the Torah 50 times. And this is the idea because there's 50 different facets to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So again, in our simplistic view, the one which we uh, first learned as a child, we were never able to dispose of as we got older and more mature until now. So we think Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is very simply just walking out of servitude, walking out of slavery, no longer, no longer having to work for the man, something like that. But he says the truth is, is that there's actually 50 different facets and dimensions to the idea of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And even after we go ahead and we leave Mitzrayim in one dimension, there are another 50 different uh, uh, types of exodus which we have to experience. Because ultimately, we have to go through 50 different gates of Exodus. That's what the... That's what the, the uh, that's what the Torah is hinting to us by having these 50 different references, that there's 50 different ways of, of things we have to go through, things we have to experience, of ways we have to grow and mature in our relationship with Hashem in order to, have, to experience the full thrust of the Exodus from Yitzrayim. And these are not just, as I said, sort of like gates you have to go through. Remember, like, if you ever watch like the slalom race and skiing, they have to, you know, zip their way down the mountain through those different uh, things. So these aren't simply that slalom gates that you have to go past in order to be able to complete the journey to the uh, to the bottom of the mountain. But these 50, 50 different facets that there are to the Exodus, the 50 different dimensions that are to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, they represent in their totality everything having to do with character development and your relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So if you want to be a complete Jew, you need to go through all 50 gates. And if you don't make your way through all 50 gates, so some element of your, of your, of your worship, of your relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is going to be missing a facet. In each one of these aspects, each one of these gates, which we have to go through, each one of these stopovers, perhaps, so represents another dimension that's another one of these facets of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, another uh, um, part of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. The Zeperush, and that's why it says, Chamishim Alu V'Gomer, and that's why it says, at that time, that only one-fifth of them went, meaning, or V'Chamushim Alu. The simple reading of the Pasuk is that one-fiftieth passed, went by, meaning, Shebiyom Rishon Shal Pesach, that on the first day of Pesach, which is when we physically walked out of Mitzrayim, Yotzu Rachelak Echad Mechamishim Shal Mitzrayim. In terms of what's the total uh, distance traveled, sometimes, sure, if you've been on a driving trip and you know how many miles that the, the trip is going to be and how many you went, so you say, oh, I've done 100 miles out of 800 miles, I'm one eighth of the way there. You know, I imagine everybody makes those calculations in, in their head in terms of what it's going to be. So the Torah is telling us that when we physically left Mitzrayim, we were only 2% of the way 
through the full Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, one fiftieth of the way. That's all we had accomplished as we actually left Mitzrayim. The physical exodus represents only 2%. Yes, Mel. Why does the why Chumash translate Hamushim as armed? Right, so you're not supposed to use your Chumash during class. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Um, so there, there's there's different explanations which Chazal give. So some say Chamushim means that they were armed, and then others say that Chamushim is that it, it, it's a drush on the word Chamishim or the word Chamesh. The simpler translation would be that you see the Shoresh Chamesh, it's somehow be related to five, not Chamushim that's going to be armed. So in Pashup Shat, it makes in the reading of the Pasuk, so it's easier to go ahead and translate it as they went out armed because they took lots of stuff with them when they left Mitzrayim. And they were gonna, we know that they're going to do lots of battles eventually. So where'd they get all that weaponry from? The Torah is telling us they got their weaponry as they left Mitzrayim. But here we're focusing on this other aspect of it, which is somehow related to the number five. So he says, and all that they achieved with on that first day of Pesach, with the matzahs on their shoulder, with the, the bread that wouldn't rise, all they accomplished that day was one fiftieth, two percent of what they were trying to accomplish. Mitachlis Hashem is from the ultimate goal which they were uh, which they were after. And that means that they had another 49 days left of their journey. In order to be able to pass through all of those gates, all the different aspects and all of the different dimensions that represent the totality of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So they had another 98% of the, of, of the journey ahead of them, another 49 days ahead of them. And that's why the Pasuk says, that's why it says, that's why it says, so this is the reason, the fact that they actually were only 2% of the way towards their final destination, this now is the reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want to take them through the land of the Plishtim at this juncture. Why was it inappropriate to take them through the land of Plishtim at this point? Ki Amar, because Hashem said, Because maybe they'll get scared off by a battle. If the Plishtim attack, they'll get scared off, and they'll want to go ahead and they'll run back to Mitzrayim. And I think we had a drush about this uh, this year, perhaps even maybe last year. I don't remember. I don't have to listen. It says, What is that fear that God has that the Jews are going to go ahead and return to Mitzrayim? That's the most absurd concern ever. They're going to go back to slavery. They're going to go back to the, to the land which had been devastated at this point. There was nothing left to the land that was there. They went out with all the spoils they had, everything which was worthwhile which wasn't nailed down in Mitzrayim, what are they going to go back to Mitzrayim for? Why is the Baruch Hu afraid that that's what's going to happen? So therefore it says, So the reason why that fear was genuine and the reason why it's a real fear is because they were only one-fiftieth of the way through their journey of the Exodus, the Exodus journey. They were a very small percentage of their way on their journey to experience the full Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. They'd only experience it in part, in a very small part of that. 
And therefore, in terms of intellectually, in spiritually, and emotionally, in all of those things, they were still fully enslaved to the Mitzri way of thinking. And therefore, if you're a Mitzri, where do you go when you're in danger? Where does everybody run to when they're in danger? You go to what you're familiar with. You run home. So for them, Mitzrayim was their home. So even though it makes no sense to run home at that time because there was nothing there for them, but being that at this point in their spiritual journey, they were at a, such a low and young and immature state, naturally, as soon as they panic, they're going to run back to what's familiar with them, which is Mitzrayim. Where else, where else would they go? Where else would they think that they could get safety? And being they were, they were still so young and immature and from this intellectual, emotional, spiritual state, they still consider themselves to be Egyptians. So as soon as something scares them, they're running right back to Mitzrayim because that's all they know. And from that Pasuk also, we see that this is an essential idea of Yitzhiya Smitra of, of the of the period, this uh, this uh, season called Sphiras Omer. The Hainu, Lizman Cherusenu. They are a continuation of our time of freedom. Every day represents a new dimension, a new facet of Yitzhiya and we don't finally achieve our goal, the end of the mountain, the end of the race, going past that finish line, we don't achieve that full exodus until we receive the Torah on Shavuos. And that's the idea, that's the goal of the 49 days of Sphira. Like we said in the like we say in that tefillah, the purpose is to purify us from the superficial things in the externalities of our lives, in the uh, the the defilements of our lives, the tomb of our lives, the uncleanliness of our lives. And perish. What this means is, What we need to do is we need to continue to shed off of us all of the different aspects and all the different ways of thinking and experiencing life, which we had in Mitzrayim, we need to be able to free ourselves of that. And that's what we're trying to accomplish over the 49 days is we're trying to go through that uh, process. Uh, it's like a detox. You can think of it in, in those terms. It's a detox period where we're trying to get rid of our connection that we had to, uh, to Mitzrayim. So that is the goal that we are trying to accomplish. And that's why it actually takes so much time. It's one thing to go ahead and to, uh, you know, to, uh, to stop uh, you know, sniffing uh, cocaine. But it's another thing to no longer be an addict. Those are two different uh, stages in the, in the process. And the first process, obviously, is the detox stage. And then after that, that's when some of the harder work actually takes place. So that's what's happening, that the, when the Jews physically walk out of Mitzrayim, then they begin the detox stage, where they have to then get rid themselves of that mindset, which led them to their cocaine or heroin addiction, whatever it is, and then to move on from there. So now he says, now we could go back and we could explain. Now he begins to answer some questions. He says, Based on what we're saying now, we can understand why there is this aspect, why in some regards the Torah considers this season to be a season where we're counting 50 days. So he said, we count only 49 days. We count only the 49 days after the first day of, of, of Pesach. 
because the truth is, is that the number 50, it includes even the first day of Pesach. We don't count that as one of the days, but that's one of the days of the Exodus. The Exodus is 50 days. We count 49 of them. We're going to see why, hopefully tonight, uh, maybe not tonight, <laughs> maybe uh, maybe next week. Um, but uh, he's going to explain to us why it is that if the whole, if the entire Exodus is really a 50-day journey, why it is that we don't count that first day, we only count the subsequent 49 days. But in, in, in the big picture of things, so the season is a 50-day season, each day of that season representing another dimension and another facet of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Which is, because day one of Pesach is, as we said, is 2% of the, of the journey, which we call the total exodus. And then what remains after that is, the remaining 49 days, so then we exodus, we walk out of the remaining 49 uh, dimensions. And uh, um, right now, this will be we able to skip a little. He says, And now you can understand why uh, the why halacha places such a strong emphasis on making sure to count all 49 days. You're familiar with the machlokas, whether or not the 49 days is each day a separate mitzvah. Or is there one mitzvah which involves counting a full 49 days? In the nafkamina, the difference we know is what happens if you miss a day? So if every if every day is considered to be a separate mitzvah, it's 49 separate mitzvahs. So if I miss yesterday, okay, I missed that mitzvah, too bad, but I have a new mitzvah today to count today's date, and today's date has nothing to do with yesterday's date. But if you look at it in terms of one mitzvah to count 49 days, so if you miss one day in the middle of that, you no longer have the mitzvah because you're not going to be able to count all 49 days. So there's that machlokas. We try and be machmer to go ahead and to uh, to count every night. And once we're no longer, if a person does miss a night, so we no longer count with a bracha. And the idea behind that is shahim. So now it's it's not simply a matter of what's the, the uh, definition of the raw mitzvah, of the mechanical mitzvah of Svira Saomer, which is the counting of the days, but rather the reason why if you miss a day, Lamaisa, we say that you no longer count with the bracha, is because every day of Svira is 2% of the Exodus, of the entirety of the Exodus. And that means if you miss a day, that means, that means when you get to the end, when you get to the finish line, you're, you're going to be penalized because you miss. It's not penalized, but you're, you're, you're going to be missing out on at least 2% of the, uh, of the journey. And in the event that you are missing something, that means you didn't complete the picture. Right? When you download a file and you only download 98% of the file, something's not going to work. So something is not going to be right if you go ahead and you do so. That's just the nature of things. It's not the penalty per se. It just means that you didn't get the entire file and you're going to be missing some of the information. Nobody wants to get 98% of the code correct. <laughs> In order for the code to function, you needed to get 100% correct. And if you're missing a couple of lines that are 2% of the code, so then whatever your desired outcome was, is there's no way that that's going to uh, happen. So that is one part of this. 
And then he says, um, okay, I don't want to, this next part is the, is, is the, the dimension, the dynamic really, between the first day of Pesach and the other 49 days of Pesach, and why, although there's 50 days to the season, why they ended up getting divided between one day, which we don't count, and then the 49 days where we do count. So I don't want to uh, feel rushed to uh, to go through that because I think that's a very important uh, part and it's 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 enlightening, in full pun intended, as you'll see next week. It's enlightening as to why it uh, breaks down that way. So I think we're going to hold it over here and we'll pick it up from uh, from over here, Amir Hashem, next week. Next so, week is the preparing for Pesach. Oh, next. Oh boy, yeah, yeah right. Next week is preparing for Pesach, so we're not going to do it next week. So we'll, oh boy, we're not going to be able to. On the twenty eighth. Yeah, with we'll so the twenty eighth. So then you'll just have to pay attention to the calendar. Class that day is going to be seven forty five. Should have done the cleaning and costuming on the Thursday night, not the Tuesday night. Note for next year. Yeah. Okay, but either way, we're going to pick it up from here, and we're uh the next time that we meet on a Tuesday night for uh, for uh, for this uh, study purpose. Thank you, Rabbi. All right, everybody. Thank you for coming. Have a good night. Bye-bye. And all the best.